70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hola, me llamo Santiago Incapié. Soy colombiano y llevo viviendo en Corea seis años. Hello, my name is Santiago Hincapié from Colombia. I've been living in Korea for six years. My friend introduced me to KBS World Radio three years ago, and I've been tuning into its Spanish service ever since. KBS World Radio is my favorite source of news and information about Korea. It provides various content in entertainment packages with balanced point of views, helping listeners understand various social issues and Korean culture from the Korean perspective. I want to listen to more programs on Korea's culture and tradition, for example, things like how the lunar calendar works. KBS World Radio brings Korea's voice to the world. Happy 70th birthday. I wish the channel more success and hope you stay a friend and family for all international residents in Korea. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Wednesday, the 6th of December, and welcome to another edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Hwang Jang-wook. President Yoon Sung-yeol has tapped former prosecutor and chief of the anti-corruption agency Kim Hong-il as the new head of the broadcasting watchdog. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. For our in-depth today, we preview the U.S. presidential elections, which are less than a year away, and discuss some of the key issues that voters and the world will be looking out for. And coming up for Korea Book Club, we'll be looking at a darkly comic thriller called The Consultant by Im Sung-sun. We have all that and more in today's Korea 24. Just five days after Lee Dong-wan, the former chief of the state broadcasting watchdog, resigned from his post ahead of a parliamentary vote to impeach him, President Yoon Sung-yeol has named his replacement. The former prosecutor and the current chair of the Anti-Corruption and Civil Rights Commission, Kim Hong-il, has been tapped. Our KBS World Radio news editor Kui Jin joins us in the studio now to bring us details on this, as well as our other headlines of the day. Lee Jin, hello. Hello, jang now, the government is apparently aiming to minimise any vacuum in the Korea Communications Commission. Can you elaborate on the announcement? Well, the presidential chief of staff, Kim Daegi, announced the president's pick on Wednesday, adding that the prosecutor turned chief of the ACRC is considered the right person to maintain the broadcasting watchdog autonomy's, uh, 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 watchdog's autonomy and fairness based on his qualifications. 
conviction of the law and principles and sense of balance. The nominee said if he were to be appointed, he plans to do his best to ensure that the nation's broadcasting and communications systems are trusted by the public for their fairness and autonomy. Kim Hong-il has been serving as the head of the ACRC since July and he had earlier worked with the president when he headed the criminal department of the Supreme Prosecutor's Office in 2009. Also on Wednesday, Yun appointed the presidential secretary for education, Oso Kwan, as new vice education minister and Navy captain Yi Hee-won as new vice veterans affairs minister. The main opposition Democratic Party has been quick to respond to the nomination of Kim Hong-il and they have in fact called on President Yoon Sang-yeol to withdraw the nomination. Indeed. DP senior spokesperson Kwon Sil-sung said on Wednesday that by making such an appointment, the president has declared that he will not, by any means, give up on his dream of dominating broadcasting. The minor Justice Party also denounced the president's latest appointment, warning that the move will be met with efforts similar to those made towards seeking the impeachment of former KCC chief Yi Dong-gwan. The ruling People Power Party, meanwhile, called for cooperation from the main opposition to approve Kim as KCC chair to allow the watchdog body to carry out its duties amid a build-up of pending issues as next year's general elections looms near. So this appears to be another contentious nomination. We'll see further reaction in the days to come. Mm-hmm. Let's look to other headlines now. The US tech giant Apple has been ordered to pay compensation by a whole court after it ruled that the company intentionally throttled the performance of its phones, the iPhone, while updating its operating system. Can you tell us more about this ruling? Well, the Civil Affairs Department of the Seoul High Court ruled in favour, a partial favour rather, of seven plaintiffs, ordering Apple to pay 70,000 won or around 50 US dollars in compensation. This reverses the ruling in the first trial of the class action suit filed by 62,000 iPhone users. The Applet Court ruled that the iOS update did in fact limit the performance of the central processing unit and and Apple did not provide sufficient notice, offering users a choice on whether to install the update. However, the court did not accept the plaintiff's claims that the iOS update led to the distribution of malicious programs that it, uh, and that it, or that it uh, damaged the device. Meanwhile, the government's interagency investigation unit on drug crimes estimates that the number of offenders climbed nearly 50% in the first 10 months of this year compared to last year. Can you expand on this for us? Well, according to the unit on Wednesday, authorities cracked down on a record 22,393 drug offenders between January and October of this year, up 47.5% from the first 10 months of 2022. The number uh, of crackdowns on people involved in the procurement of illicit substances from smuggling to manufacturing rose sharply by nearly 83% during the said period. The unit found that nearly 35% of drug offenders were in their teens or 20s. The investigators attributed the latest spike to the stern response taken by the departments under the special unit launched this past April. Prosecutors on Wednesday raided the home of a news tapper CEO Kim Yong-jin over alleged defamation through fake news broadcast about President Yoon Sang-yeol in an attempt to influence last year's presidential election. What can you tell us? 
Well, the raid concerns suspicions that the CEO's uh, news agency released an interview in September 2021 in which Kimambe, a key figure in the Songnam development scandal, claimed that then-candidate Yun had colluded in an illegal loan scheme while he was a prosecutor in 2011. Released three days before the election in March 2022, the uh, interview was conducted by Shinang Nim, the former head of the National Union of Media Workers, who was officially affiliated with Newstapa, who allegedly received 165 million won or around 126,000 US dollars from the interviewee. In September, prosecutors raided Newstapa and another local media outlet, JTBC, which reported a month before the election that Yun had attempted to cover up the loan, uh, the loan scheme based on an interview with a broker involved in the scandal. In other news, the government has strongly discouraged hoarding of urea in light of sufficient domestic supply and normalised shipments from China to other countries such as Vietnam. This is the compound used in many diesel vehicles to convert dangerous nitrogen oxides into harmless nitrogen gas and water. And its shortage led to a crisis here in Korea a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us uh, what the government has said? Well, First Industry Vice Minister Chang Yongjin made the, uh, the appeal during a visit to the Lotte Mart World Tower branch on Wednesday, noting that the government has secured more than enough urea to last three months. As concerns grew after government officials announced on Sunday that China's customs authorities recently blocked the export of Chinese urea to South Korean companies, Chang said unlike the 2021 shortage, companies have been able to secure the com- compound through imports from countries other than in China. The China Nitrogen Fertilizer Industry Association, a group under the Ministry of Civil Affairs and the government, pointed to uh, domestic supply concerns as the reason for the recent export curbs of that material. Meanwhile, the South Korean Foreign Ministry has requested that such uh, that each diplomatic mission overseas strengthen response efforts to supply chain disruptions on the back of rising concerns. And finally, South Korea's human rights envoy for North Korea, Lee Shin-hwa, called for a comprehensive approach addressing North Korea's human rights and nuclear issues together. What can you tell us? Well, he made the remarks in a conference on the North Korean uh, human rights in Hawaii on Monday, local time, stressing the need to consider the two issues as threats to, uh, to peace and crimes against humanity. The ambassador said that despite uh, the persistence of nucle- the nuclear issue for over 20 years since the early 1990s, it has been uh, dealt with separately from the human rights issue. The envoy said that uh, the North Korea's nuclear program and human rights are closely related through uh, financing and labour exploitation, noting that uh, Pyongyang conducted 71 missile launches last year at a value equivalent to 1 million tonnes of food food, despite an annual shortfall of 800,000 tonnes. Those were our main headlines today. Hijin, thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. The 2024 U.S. presidential election is less than a year away now, and current signs suggest that it is gearing up to be a repeat of the 2020 race. 
Despite concerns about his age and health, President Joe Biden is seeking a second term. And the frontrunner for the Republican Party remains former President Donald Trump by a large margin. But he faces an array of state and federal investigations and lawsuits which could potentially block him from running. To learn more about where things stand and what to look out for in the lead-up to Election Day on November 5th, we're joined on the line now by Steve Herman, the Chief National Correspondent at Voice of America. Welcome to the show, Mr. Herman. My pleasure to be back. So we start with the basics. For our listeners, can you walk us through who's running for president in 2024? Who are the major candidates? Well, you mentioned the front runners, uh, the incumbent uh, president, Joe Biden, of the Democratic Party, and the man he defeated in 2020, who was president, uh, Donald Trump from the Republican Party. Now, President Biden only has a token opposition on the Democratic Party side. Uh, there is one uh, Congressman Dean Phillips who's uh, running against him, uh, as well as a woman, uh, an author named Marion Williamson. They're not really expected to be a factor. On the Republican side, it is a little bit more interesting. But as you mentioned, uh, Donald Trump is the uh, strong uh, front runner in the Republican primary and. Uh, all indications are that um, he is expected by most political pundits to uh, win the nomination uh, for the Republican Party for a third time in a row. But there are some other interesting uh, people also in the Republican pack. Uh, Nikki Haley, who was uh, Biden, or, uh, Trump's uh, ambassador to the United Nations, she's also a, a former governor of the state of South Carolina and is the child of immigrants from India. There is the current governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, um, who has tried in some sense to outflank uh, Trump, to try to even be more Trumpier than Trump. That hasn't really succeeded. Um, there's also a, a businessman from Ohio who's also um, uh, the child of uh, immigrants from India, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, and uh, there's a few others running as well, in, including a former uh, governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, who was once an ally of Donald Trump uh, and is now a pretty vociferous critic of his. Right. So essentially for the Democratic Party, Biden is set to be the nominee running for a second term in office. But the Republican Party, you've outlined uh, several of the people who are still running. But Trump is leading the polls. However, he is facing legal challenges on various fronts. How significant are the lawsuits against Trump? And could he be prevented by the courts from running for the election? It's possible, but uh, most uh, political analysts don't see that as likely. Some of these cases will probably be uh, put off until after the election. Uh, there is certainly, um, we have to say, a distraction for Trump because he's going to have to, on many days, uh, be sitting in a courtroom uh, instead of out on the campaign trail. But he has a private jet and um, he can get for, uh, from one place in the country to another part uh, uh, very quickly for his uh, trademark uh, evening rallies. Among Trump's core supporters 
all of these legal troubles don't seem to have hurt his popularity. In fact, uh, many are buying into what uh, Trump uh, has been saying, portraying himself as a victim of political persecution. Uh, the real key here is going to be how do independent voters look at this? Some independents and some Republicans are saying, look, this is a, a big distraction um, and uh, maybe it's better to go with um, somebody else. But in the Republican primaries, uh, Trump is still polling at about uh, uh, 50 percent uh, across the country. So that is very, very strong. Right. And, and, that's and, that, and when I should say 50 percent, that's among uh, Republicans in the primary process. Right. And that's about 20, 30 points ahead of his nearest rival, right? Correct. Okay, so it seems like we are seeing a rematch then between Biden and Trump. Uh, is that the most likely scenario then? Is that going to be essentially a repeat of the 2020 race then? Uh, all indications are that, uh, barring something really unforeseen, uh, you know, possible uh, um, health um, issues for uh, either of these um, uh, candidates, uh, they're uh, both uh, not young, shall we say, uh, Biden being a couple of years older uh, than Trump. Uh, and that's been a concern among uh, Democratic Party uh, voters as to whether uh, President Biden would be able to serve out a full uh, second term, being uh, well into his 80s by then. And he does have a history of uh, health issues. Right, so Biden is 81 years old now, while uh, Trump is uh, 77, uh, I believe. So how do the public view these two leading candidates at the moment? What do the polls say? Well, both uh, are seeing uh, among their um, potential electorates uh, concern about the uh, age, as, as we've discussed. Mm. Um, and also... I think a lot of people are really not tuned in to this yet. Uh, for those of us in the media, you know, we pay close attention to this uh, very long horse race. Uh, but the, the first votes in the primary process will be uh, cast uh, early in the new year. But uh, we're still 11 months away uh, from, from the general election. And so I, I think a majority of the electorate really won't uh, start to tune into this until uh, a few more months from now. Mm, I see. Yes. So for the average voter, it's still perhaps not on the forefront of their minds. Uh, but still, we've mentioned Biden's age, both candidates' ages, but Biden's age particularly, that does seem to have become a, a major stumbling block uh, for voters, right? How big an issue could that be? Well, it remains to be seen. As I said, uh, Biden really does not have any significant primary opposition. So uh, Democrats, uh, you know, according to um, people I've spoken with um, inside party leadership are basically saying, like it or not, Democrats are, are going to have to vote for uh, uh, Joe Biden. And if they're really concerned that he might not serve out a second term, he has a well-seasoned now Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, who will have uh, four years under her belt um, by the time the election uh, rolls around. 
And uh, Biden, who was a vice president under Barack Obama, has given Harris uh, a bit of responsibility. And she's obviously seen as a president in training uh, by uh, Joe Biden and uh, many in the White House as well. She just got back uh, from the COP28 climate conference. And while she was there, she was doing double duty. She was not only giving speeches uh, uh, about the climate issue, but uh, she was uh, holding uh, talks with uh, some of the key players in the Middle East about uh, the Israel-Hamas uh, war as well. If we look at the situation more broadly then, what are the core issues that are on voters' minds at the moment, do you think? What will the voters be voting on? Sure, it's a great question, and there's one perennial issue in any U.S. presidential election, and that is the state of the economy. And that is something that the Democratic Party is going to push hard, is to say to voters, you are much better off economically under Joe Biden these past four years than you were under Donald Trump. Um, you know, a lot could still happen between now and uh, Election Day next in November, November 2024. Uh, and then we have some uh, geopolitical events, obviously. What's going to happen uh, with the war between Russia and Ukraine and uh, the war uh, between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip? And uh, there's been a lot of scrutiny uh, about how uh, President Biden has been involved in uh, negotiations for the latter. Uh, there was a ceasefire for a period of time. A number of hostages were freed. Uh, President Biden was deeply involved uh, in that. But now we're, we're back to uh, uh, combat operations again by the Israelis. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it could uh, uh, bounce back. Uh, on President Biden if this war were to widen, if we were to see other countries um, such as Iran uh, uh, get involved um, uh, in the conflict as well, uh, a wider uh, conflict in the Middle East would not be good for President Biden. Mm. Can you expand on that a bit more for us? How much has the situation in uh, Israel and Gaza perhaps affected his standing with uh, supporters, especially younger voters, and how much of a risk does that pose for uh, 2024? Yeah, the, the support for Israel in the United States does seem softer among younger voters. And then we also have uh, Arab Americans uh, in the United States as well. And um, there's been a group of them who are saying they will not vote for President Biden because they perceive him as uh, being much more uh, sympathetic to the Israeli cause than that of the uh, Palestinians. But um, if we're looking at the key swing states, and it's probably just a half a dozen states that will decide the election, um, those states also tend to have more uh, Jewish voters than Arab Americans, and presumably, um, you know, if they're if they're going to weigh in. Uh, with a verdict on uh, Biden and his handling of the Middle East, they may be um, uh, more apt to vote for, for him. But uh, there are Jewish Republicans as well. Um, uh, Jewish voters are not uh, monolithic uh, necessarily mm. in, in the country. 
Um, so remains to be seen. And then I think we also should mention in, in some of these uh, swing states, there will be third party candidates on the ballot. And if the race is very, very close, because the way we elect the president in this country is through electoral votes, not uh, uh, the direct popular vote. So you could win the popular vote but lose the electoral vote or vice versa. Mm. So there are a small number of states where if it's very close, uh, uh, an independent candidate uh, could uh, swing things one way or the other. You mentioned the economy earlier. What is the public perception of Biden's record on economic policies compared to Trump's? Well, you have a lot of Republicans uh, who are just not going to vote for Trump no matter how good uh, the economy gets. And um, it is thought that most uh, Democrats, even if the uh, the, uh, the economy were to sour between now and next November, uh, that they will stick with him as well. It's really these independent voters. And uh, they're a small percentage, but in a close election, they can uh, be a, a very determining factor. And uh, their perception of the economy uh, could re- really um, uh, swing the election here. Okay, I think you meant to say some Republicans never vote for Biden rather than Trump, no matter how good the economy gets and vice versa for uh, Democrats in any case. And then looking ahead now, we have less than a year to go. What possible variables or inflection points do you think there could be in the run up to Election Day? What do we need to look out for? Well, I think we need to be concerned about uh, the health uh, of the uh, nominees if it is uh, respectively from uh, the Republicans and Democrats, uh, Trump and and Biden. That's something we have to be concerned about. Um, Also, uh, geopolitical events. So we've talked about Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas. Could there be a crisis that pops up in another uh, part of the world? Um, You know, a a terrorist attack again in the United States. Um, You know, some sort of new crisis on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, there's a lot of variables out there just beside mm. uh, uh, the economy and, um, and and these known geopolitical events. Right. And finally, you mentioned the Korean Peninsula. Uh, looking at the election from Korea's perspective, what do you think the results of the 2024 uh, U.S. president election could mean for relations with the two Koreas and any potential peace process as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think with uh, Biden, we would see an extension of the uh, the current uh, foreign policy, which I imagine is fairly comforting to a lot of people on the Korean Peninsula, especially in South Korea. Uh, if Donald Trump got back in, then it would be a huge question mark. Uh, you know, we saw that unprecedented uh, attempt at diplomacy with uh, Kim Jong-un, the two meetings. Uh, Could there possibly be a third Uh, or would uh, a President Trump in a second term be so focused on and distracted by uh, domestic political issues and and possible domestic uh, uh, chaos uh, if he tries to push through some of the things that he's is announced that he wants to do? Would he really pay much attention to the Korean Peninsula? Or and perhaps just leave it to whoever he appoints as uh, secretary of state. So I think there's a big question mark if Trump gets back in. But uh, Biden, uh, pretty much uh, we, we could see uh, pursuing the, the same steady course uh, that he has. 
uh, may not be leading to any sort of huge breakthrough or taking a big gamble uh, with North Korea. Uh, but it's something I think that um, um, the foreign ministry and uh, the administration there in Seoul um, and diplomats around the world are, are very acquainted with, not to mention um, the leadership in Pyongyang. OK, well, there's still a year to go, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of twists and turns on the way, which we will endeavour to follow. For today, we'll, be, we'll leave it there. We've been talking to Steve Herman from VOA. Thank you for briefing us on the situation today. Always my pleasure. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 1.10 points, or 0.04%, on Wednesday to close the day at 2,495.38. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also jumped, climbing 6.16 points, or 0.76%, to close at 819.54. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 1.91 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,313.11. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending Hour daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio, news editor Daniel Chen. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. It's good to see you again, too, Jango. Let's get straight into our first story. What do you have for us? We have talked on the show about the challenges South Korea faces due to its aging population. Mm. Uh, for example, possible labor shortages in the future. But the nation's military is currently feeling the effects of this issue. One major change that's recently announced is the reduction in new recruit training centers, or boot camps, as they're called for enlisted soldiers. Right, these training centres will be all too familiar to Korean men who have completed their mandatory military service. What kind of reduction are we talking about? So there are two main routes for new recruits to receive basic military training. First is the most common route of the training centre in Nonsan, South Chungcheong province. And then there are other training centres in select army divisions in the frontline area. But according to media reports on Wednesday, three divisions that provide training in the frontline area will no longer be able to carry out such duties starting next year. And this is just the beginning. The military will review additional measures, including closing down more new recruit training facilities and services in army divisions. Yes, as you mentioned earlier, with the low birth rate and the aging population, this could ultimately lead to even greater reduction in enlisted servicemen in the future. Yes, most recruits are males in their 20s, and this group is expected to dip drastically from 260,000 last year to around 120,000 by the year 2042. Uh, To help reduce the need to be heavily reliant on manpower, the military also plans to review having more unmanned systems like those that involve tech like AI and robotics in the future. There are other options being explored and heavily debated, such as increasing the 18-month service period and making military service mandatory for women as well. Yes, so some drastic ideas being considered as well, a perhaps necessary consideration as South Korea remains technically still at war with North Korea, of course. It's another far-reaching consequence of the declining birth rate that the nation will have to face. Okay, let's move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Well, in the world of sports and basketball in particular, Seoul Samsung Thunders of the KBL, or Korea Basketball League, was, uh, he was honoured. Uh, they were honouring Lee Jung-hyun for his astonishing accomplishment. On Tuesday, he played his 600th straight league game. So 600 <laughs> consecutive games. That's 
amazing. That is a feat really deserving of uh, praise and celebration. Uh, what makes it even more impressive is the fact that he is not just some role player. He is a perennial all-star. That's the core of the team's offense and defense, even at the age of 36, right? Yeah, to give a brisk introduction of this star, he was selected second overall in the 2010 KBL draft. He played for Anyang KGC and Jeonju KCC and then moved to Samsung last season. He has uh, won multiple championships and was even named MVP in the 2019 season. From October 20, October 15th, rather, 2010, to this day, he has not missed a single game. Other than sticking to a strict regimen of workouts and stretching, he knows how to play smart while hustling when he needs to. Also, according to his close fan and coach, Eun there are times when he had various injuries, including micro fractures, but he seems to have naturally very durable bones that heal fast. A bit of a <laughs> mutant X factor there. Mm. Some luck also comes into play when he catches a cold or gets seriously injured. It always seems to happen during the off-season. Yes, I'm sure there are genetics and some good luck involved as well, but I'm sure it has to do with how he looks after himself, I'm sure. Uh, especially rare these days, being out there and starting and playing every game, especially when even the NBA has made load management an acceptable practice. Yes, those two dreaded words have become a topic of hot debate these days. Having players take a game or two off so they can rest and recharge for the more important games later in the season is a trend made to be uh, seemingly acceptable by superstars like Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. A very useful strategy in terms of reserving energy and ensuring career longevity, but... That is not the case for E. Uh, him, along with stars and legends like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, they believe they need to be there every day because there's no, no telling who uh, made it there just for that one game, just to watch the stars play. They mm. do not want to disappoint anyone. Mm. Uh, despite having haters, due to some of his strategic on-court antics, we're talking about Lee jung right now, of course, like flopping and screaming and overreacting to get calls <laughs> from the referees, he is still respected by peers and fans alike for his dedication to the game. And on Tuesday, to celebrate this milestone, the fans gave E a standing ovation from 60 seconds before the game until tip-off. Yes, it'll be fascinating to see how far he can take this record because this is a record for the KBL, right? Well, we hope he can keep it going for longer. What's our last story that you have for us today, Daniel? Well, uh, the uh, Will They, Won't They saga has come to an end after it was announced on Wednesday after all four members of the K-pop girl group Blackpink renewed their contract for group activities with YG Entertainment. Yes, so fans of the group can breathe a sigh of relief with this announcement after essentially not knowing what would happen to Blackpink, uh, Blackpink in the future over the past few months. Their seven-year contract with the label expired in August, so negotiations have been ongoing since then. The biggest X factor is that they are signed for group activities, leaving open the possibility for individual members to collaborate or work with other agencies for their projects. The company said there will be further discussions regarding the matter in the near future. But the important thing is, for YG, is that they managed to ensure they retain arguably their most important talent. Yes, it is an exaggeration to say that YG's future would have been very different without Blackpink. Yes, it would be. Following YG's failure to give a prompt answer to questions about contract renewal with Blackpink back in August, the company's shares have been nose-diving somewhat. But after Wednesday's announcement, shares spiked over 28%. Yang Yun-suk, the founder, executive producer, and former CEO of YG, said he is incredibly relieved and excited to be able to continue working with Blackpink and vowed to ensure the company provides needed support for all their future endeavors on the global stage. Plans are already in the pipeline for the label and Blackpink, including new albums and a grand world tour. 
where it looks like black pink will be remaining in our area for quite some time now. Okay, that's all the time we have for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Come to our Wednesday segment now, Korea Book Club, our weekly dive into the world of Korean literature and books through works available in English translations and beyond. Gracing us with his presence as ever, we have with us literary critic Barry Welsh. Barry, hello. It's uh, great to have you on again. Yes, it's great to be back. Okay, so I'm excited about this one. You said yeah. it's a good one as soon as you came in uh, yes, today. Right. <laughs> so what book are you introducing to our listeners today? Uh, so this week we're reviewing a novel called The Consultant. The Korean title is just Consultant, and it's by Im Song Soon. It was originally published in Korean in 2010, and it was translated into English by Ahn Son Jae and published in English this year. Uh, and as well as being Im's first uh, work to be translated into English, The Consultant was also his debut novel. But uh, remarkably, since writing The Consultant he's been highly prolific and has written 10 more novels wow. uh, in the intervening years uh, including a sci-fi novel called Uroboros which won the Korean SF award uh, translator An Son Jae is of course very prolific and acclaimed translator of novels poems and short stories including The Picture Bride uh, and The Poet and many others that we've reviewed uh, and The Consultant is a gripping crime novel about a hired killer a type of assassin who works for a mysterious organisation that orchestrates the deaths of business competitors, inconvenient family members, uh, muckraking journalists, or indeed anyone who might be causing problems for the company. They refer to this process as restructuring. Uh, and the novel is a thriller in a sense, but it has many layers and is really a pitch black satire about capitalism, uh, consumerism, exploitation, and the difficulties of succeeding in Korean society in the 2000s. I think crime fans and uh, highbrow literature Literature lovers in general will find lots to enjoy here. And I thought it was a skilled depiction of corruption uh, that lies beneath the surface of our polished modern society. Right. So it's a dark thriller slash satire, you said. It sounds uh, intriguing. Uh, can you give us a brief overview of the plot and the main characters? Because uh, you said it's about a hired killer and assassin, but it's not quite as straightforward as that, right? right? Yeah, right. So uh, the story begins with uh, our unnamed narrator uh, as a young man in Korea in the, it's the late uh, 90s and the early 2000s. It's just after the IMF crisis in 1998 uh, and has caused uh, significant economic instability in Korea. Uh, as such, this young man and his classmates, they're all worried about their futures uh, and the possibility of securing uh, good jobs and good careers. Furthermore, our narrator is not a talented student uh, and he laments that with his grades he will not rise in the world financially or socially and he seems doomed to some uh, low level and undesirable position and this is a, a much acknowledged concern among young Koreans uh, to this day mm. uh, and the pressures of education and em employment are of course frequently discussed uh, so what is this young man to do so the only thing that sets him apart from most of his age group and other graduates is that he has a passion for writing online uh, crime novels and stories on a blog writing platform however his blog is not popular and there doesn't seem to be any real career path stemming from it 
That is, until one day, he's contacted out of the blue by a man representing the company. This man asks him to write some very specific crime stories depicting perfect murders of uh, certain individuals. The young man thinks it's a strange request, but the money is just too good to refuse, and he agrees to do it. Uh, In the following weeks, as he watches the news, he comes to realise that the company has used his perfect murder scenarios to murder people in the real world. So what is he to do? Should he continue working for this company and helping them restructure people in return for a wealthy and successful lifestyle? Or should he turn himself in? Of course, he thinks of the money and he takes (laughs) this job. Yes, it's a really interesting and imaginative uh, premise, I think, for uh, a thriller. I'm really uh, curious to find out more. But you said there were more layers to the story, how it explores the uh, dark aspects of modern Korean society. How does Im use this setup to do that then? So the book isn't just the story of how easily this one young man loses his uh, soul. Uh, it's really about the trap of modern society. So Im writes uh, about this uh, in the way that uh, he sees that people are funneled onto a treadmill uh, of trying to get a good job, climbing the ladder uh, and buying products as symbols and displays of wealth and how emptying and soul-destroying this process is. Uh, He writes that our childhood dreams are crushed by this flattening process of modern advanced civilization. So why not murder people for money? Does it really matter uh, in this type of society? Mm. People will be ground up by this relentless process anyway. So what does it matter if you contribute to it? All anybody ever does is act in their own best interests and that's what we're taught to do. Uh, as the narrator says, each person had simply acted in their own best interest. That was all. To repeat what I said, structure is the only thing that survives restructuring. There are no exceptions. No one is ever free. So in the story, the narrator can do everything that wealthy and successful people are meant to do. He can buy the nice house. He dates attractive young women. He buys designer products. And essentially, he lives the dream that society tells him he should be living. Uh, So externally, he's successful. But then uh, as he gets deeper into his work, he has a crisis of conscience. And of course, everything starts to fall apart. Mm, Okay. Uh, You said this story is also a comment on consumerism earlier. I'm assuming that this part of the narrator's journey is where that aspect of the story comes in. Right, exactly. So I don't want to give away the later sections and the later developments in the novel, but Eam is drawing a link between what the protagonist is doing, you know, restructuring people, arranging these uh, deaths, and what the average person on the street is doing. So Eam is saying in this story about his uh, unnamed protagonist that we're all guilty of uh, deaths and exploitation of innocent people in some way or other. Uh, The protagonist doesn't go out into the field and shoot or stab or strangle people like the assassin in The Plotters, for for example. Uh, He just sits behind a computer all day, uh, creating scenarios that are implemented by anonymous contractors that he never sees or interacts with. Uh, He's just a person doing his job. Uh, so he does all these things so that he can uh, uh, enjoy all the, the nice things that society offers and that society says he should want and aspire to. The shiny gadgets, the consumer products, the meals in the fancy restaurants and so on. And in the final section of the novel, Im connects this sort of desire to have these things with that we all share mm. with uh, the exploitation and murder that lie behind the shiny gadgets that we uh, all want to uh, possess. 
uh, and what uh, again not to spoil anything but he the minerals and you know the various elements and things that make these gadgets come from places where the cost of life is is cheap uh, and people are murdered by big companies and powerful governments uh, and this happens so that we can possess these gadgets and goods and uh, and all the rest of it and so Eames is just saying we're like this young man this is young protagonist we're not pulling the trigger or wielding the knife but simply by living and participating in the modern world we're all really killers yes so it is indeed a, a fascinating dark satire perhaps even akin to perhaps an episode of black mirror or something okay. similar yeah uh-huh. uh, it sounds effective and compelling and i think it would work well for a lot of readers right yeah, I thought absolutely. I think this is a book that has a uh, broad appeal. Uh, it's a brainy crime novel and a very witty uh, analysis of modern society. It has some unexpected twists and turns and, and goes to places you might not expect. Also has some very dark humour and satire, uh, which I appreciated. It's an engaging thrill ride, the, the journey the protagonist goes on. And along with books we've reviewed like The Plotters or The Disaster Tourist, it's part of this, this uh, emerging trend for uh, uh, critiques of modern materialist society by Korean uh, writers uh, and how this affects people's uh, soul or their their choices in life. Uh, And in in this novel, he's asking important questions. And I think these questions will have many readers reflecting on their own choices and decisions. It sounds great. And hopefully it can reach a lot of readers. It's called The Consultant by Im Tong-sun. And that was our pick for this week's Korea Book Club. Barry, thank you for that recommendation. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Okay, take care. This is a story of a man named Chosu Lee. This case is not uncommon. It reflects on you and me. I am director Julie Ha. And I am director Eugene Yi of the film Free Chalsu Lee. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. We've come to Morning Edition Preview, our closing segment, where we take a look at some interesting features, reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now, our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you, too. So I believe it's just one story that you have for us today. So what are we looking at? So the 2024 Academy Awards will take place on March 10th next year. Uh, There have been some huge movie releases this year that will be contenders for awards like Barbie, Oppenheimer and Spider-Man Across the Mm Spider-Verse. But Kim Dassel's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald has information about another movie that potentially could do very well at the Oscars and its connection to South Korea. Right, so I know the movie you're talking about. I mm. think we have talked about it on the show before. But mm. tell us, what is this movie and what's its connection to Korea? So it's called Past Lives and it premiered at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival in January of this year. At that time, it quickly garnered international attention. So let me talk about the movie's connection to Korea. So Past Lives is Korean-Canadian director Celine, Slong, Celine Song's directorial debut. It's quite amazing that the movie is being looked at as a potential Oscar contender, seeing as, as it's Song's first movie as director. Mm. Also, one of the main characters is played by Korean actor Yu Tae-oh. Uh, this is actually Yu's Hollywood debut film, so a lot of firsts for most people. <laughs> Yu's character Hae-sung is separated from his uh, childhood friend after her family emigrates to the US. The two main characters are reunited uh, 24 years later, but only for a week. So the movie revolves around the choices they make during that week. 
Yes, this is said to be a very compelling indie drama. And mm. it's interesting because it comes just two or three years after Minari, another indie drama related to right. Korea that was nominated for six Oscars and won one. So this movie would be perhaps looking to repeat that success or even sure. improve on it. Uh, usually, though, with most movies looking to win an Oscar, they have to perform well at other uh, renowned film festivals right. uh, before then. You mentioned Sundance, but can you tell us more about its uh, previous accolades? Sure. So the film won Best Feature at the Gotham Independent Film Awards. It also grabbed the Best uh, First Film at the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. Other awards include Best Indie at the Hollywood Critics Association Mid-Season Film Awards and Best Director at the Asia-Pacific Screen Awards. So yeah, who knows? Mm. According to the article, the US, uh, US media outlets believe that Past Lives could be a contender. Apparently, Rolling Stone has it on its Best Film of 2023 list next to Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yes, yeah, so it's received high praise from international outlets as well as film critics. It'll be interesting to see if it can repeat Minani's success. Right, and if any of our listeners in Korea are interested in seeing this movie, it will get its official theatrical release in the country in the first half of next year, so keep an eye out. OK, that's where we're going to wrap it up for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's all for today as well. Thank you for staying with us. Join us again tomorrow for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jang-ho helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with Global Audiobook, Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in! KBS World Radio